Hi guys, welcome to episode three of Kitchen Secrets. Uh, Andy here and Ben. Uh, today's episode is about the toll. So the toll of the industry, what it did on us, um, what it zapped from us. Yeah, how much it's, you know, we both really enjoyed our time working, you know, in all aspects of the industry. But I think both of us would agree it's t- it's definitely uh, left a few scars on us. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so we've got a really, really fun, we think is a fun, in-depth uh, episode this week so we're going to talk about the level of entry the risk uh, the risk reward and the flip side the downside of the business and the sex drug and rock and roll isn't it Ben? Yippee yeah Yippee, so. yeah like you know as, as we all know it started off really with the sort of Marco Pierre White era in the sort of 90s um, you know it's the live hard play hard mentality exactly. and then we'll briefly uh Briefly took touch on the fall from grace of some uh, yeah. famous chefs as well. So we'll touch on that before we wrap it up. So hopefully we've got uh, 20 minutes of a fun podcast for you guys. So the level of entry and what it took on us from that. Obviously my biggest uh, my biggest toll was leaving home, I guess. Obviously yeah. my first jobs, uh, proper jobs I left. I was pushed out to leave London. Uh, leave Sheffield and go to London. Didn't want to go. Had a nice job in Sheffield. So twenty odd grand a year was a nineteen year eighteen year old. I thought this is living the life. I've managed Nova, souped up, souped up. Now I was loving life. It was class, nice car, Were you stereo. Living at home. Were you living living at home? home. Yeah, oh, I was. The cost of I was living life, but yeah. my lecturer Mick Burke, uh, he used to said to me, "No, you're gonna go." I'm like, "I don't wanna go. I'm happy." No, no, you're gonna go. I said, "No, no, I'm not. I'm staying here." <laughs> and he's like, "No, you need gonna go." And I and he pushed me and pushed me, pushed me, and I was like. He didn't take no for an answer. Yeah. So that was my biggest sacrifice. And did my parents want me to go? No, they didn't. You know what I mean? No. But it was a big step. It was a big step. And I'm grateful that he did. But but we were always told, I don't know about you, I was always told that to be a, a good chef in the industry, you had to work in London, uh, New York or Paris. That's how it was. Yeah, yeah they were the big, the, they the were, big centres. They were the big centres. Yeah. So I'm, that's what was drilled into us. And I was like, well, I'll give it a go for two weeks. And that was it. So that was my biggie. That, that was... My entry, that was the biggest toll of my entry into the... Well, it would have been a big, the, the big shock. I think, you know, f- for me, you know, I'd obviously been in London for a while anyway. Um, but my first job was in a Michelin-style restaurant in sort of West London. And, yeah. you know, the biggest, you know, just the hours and the commitment that we had to put into that, that was probably the biggest sacrifice is that my sort of social life, I had lots of friends, you know, girlfriends and those sorts of things. Yeah. And when you're doing 70, 80, 90 hours a week, they just sort of disappear. Like, you know, I think that was the, that was the biggest sort of eye-opener for me. It was just the whole sort of time commitment that you had to do in order to succeed in the industry. And that was what everyone expected of you in, yeah. those, in those restaurants, was that you just had to literally marry the restaurant. And if you didn't marry the restaurant, you were gone kind of thing, you know. And it, it, so, you know, I think, also, I was a bit older than you, so I'd already been at university. Yeah, and, stuff, you, so and you left. You were, you were living at home, were you obviously as well. So it was a complete. You had different outset. I guess you weren't. You weren't. Yeah, I, you were bored. Used to board and you yeah, used to, I went to boarding school and all those sorts of things. Rugby so, and you were travelling a lot more. I guess, yeah, so, so. I, so so I wasn't. I'd been sort of not shown the big wide world at a, at a younger age to you, but yeah. certainly I was used to being away from the immediate support of mum and dad, although, they, you know, they're always at the end of the telephone. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, when you're when you're working from seven o'clock in the morning to one o'clock the following morning, you know, life, you don't really want to call your parents at one o'clock in the morning, yeah, exactly, you know, like, yeah. you know, so it was a, 
it was a real sort of um, it was a culture shock. I've yeah. got to be honest, and you know we both know that the you know what the, what sort of characters and stuff you come across in the environment that those restaurants have, and you probably had in the hotels as well. You know, it's um, it was a it was a really big thing for me, and I'd had a pretty sort of easy time before that. So yeah. it was the first time I'd really committed to something that much time that wasn't a jolly. Yeah, I mean, I went from kitchens that were six chefs. It's like that's for the that's on the rotor for the week. Six chefs yeah, in yeah. the week. To like when I went to the Park Lane, we had a uh, eighty five chefs on the rotor, and I was like, what eighty five chefs? They they had six. Sous chefs. Yeah, yeah. So it was literally it was a massive shock, and it. I mean, I yeah, I I felt like little fish in the big big sea. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I never felt so small in my life. Actually, I was like teacher's pet at college, as all my college mates would tell you. And I went from top boy to literally bottom boy overnight. And I was like, this is nuts. And I was like, I don't like this. This yeah. is not for me. I've been knocked down a few pegs, so it was a massive risk for me. I was like, no, I I was doing like sous chef work. I used to run kitchens at Leeds United. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm the bottom of the pegging order. Do you know what I mean? Fetching carrying. So, yeah. yeah, it was crazy. But that's a sacrifice, I guess. That's about probably one of my biggest sacrifices was jumping down from sous chefs and lead chef roles to being a second commie. So I had to, yeah, it was unnatural to me. I was on, I left to set a job opportunity at 21 grand. This is going back a long time now. It was a lot of money. Yeah. And I went on to, I think it was 11 and a half grand I was on living. Yeah. Uh, so I literally, I was, I think I got £700 a month. That's what I lived on. Uh, but luckily, I lived in Mayfair, so I didn't have to travel. And I had the, I had the staff accommodation. I had the yeah. laundry there. I had all my uniform. I had the I had breakfast, lunch, and dinner provided. Uh, but yeah, it was literally... You had the luck of, uh, sort of the lap of luxury in comparison to me, mate. I was on about the same money, but still had to pay rent. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so and I, I definitely had to do my own laundry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I had a massive... So I did have a massive sacrifice, but I also got looked after, which yeah. is a... Very different. I think the hotels you do get. I mean, I worked in the hotels most of my career in the five star yeah. hotel market, as you know. And literally, we did get looked after. We had amazing packages. We had chiropractors. We had chiropodists. We had HR, like the made like HR, like you wouldn't even know that in a lot of restaurants. No. Would you have HR in your restaurants? No, unless it was a burn from the head chef. No. Yeah, yeah. literally. Like, you know, all yeah. our even yeah. like all our all our breaks and stuff. We had to swipe our cards when you you'd swipe into the canteen to get your meal. And you'd swipe out to go back to work. And if you weren't swiping your card, the HR would be on to the head chef that Andy's not had his break today. Yeah, yeah. He's not had his four breaks. He's not had his this. So I got protected. Did you have that kind of... Mate, I didn't get a payslip for the first three years in chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, no, is the answer. So that's like, crazy, yeah. Like, I, you know, you, know you, you talk about, you know, coming in and having 89 chefs. When I first start, started in, in my first restaurant, like the kitchen was designed to run on eight in the uh, on each shift um and we had seven on the payroll so mm. we were we were short staffed but we were still doing 200 covers a day 250 covers a day um and we were just stressed to the eyeballs like I, you know it was you know i'd wake up in the middle of the night worrying about creme brulee Is like it? it was it was just but it was my first job so that's all i knew i like as far as i was concerned that's how Catering was. Like, yeah, I guess know, I was kind of protected in that you know, way because that wasn't open to that because of the the structure in these massive hotels. Of, I guess they're structured in that reason to protect people and yeah. to bring them up slowly and that was a benefit, I guess, from I that. I think that was quite forward-thinking. Like, it, looking at what people... Like, it was an American company, exactly. so I guess they were a lot... Yeah, like, whereas you, it's almost they were doing the things which 
the mass of the industry now are talking about them. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, it, you know, we know about the bird chef and these things and, you know, mental health and substance abuse and all these sorts of things. I guess your your business was a bit more on the ball 15, 20 years ago, yeah. whereas mine was still, well, Christ, it was, it, you know, it was in the, it was the, the company I was working for owned the building that was Harvey's. Yeah. Like, you know, it was a Pierre White spin-off in all intents and purposes. He wasn't involved, but... It was a, you know, we were in that, we were those rocker chefs, yeah, like, yeah. and it was, you know, it was, it was almost a bit of a macho thing. Uh, like, you didn't want to say you were struggling, but, oh, yeah. Like, but there was, was a, that, yeah, yeah, don't get me wrong. I think, yeah, people did struggle, and I saw, I've seen several chefs have breakdowns over the years, and it's awful to see, but it's just the pressure, and I think a lot of it's kind of, I don't want to say self-inflicted, but it is, it's the alcohol that drinks, it's the tiredness, it's the drugs, and... Stuff like that, I guess it's. It is, but when you but when you are living in a restaurant for that period of time, and you've got nothing else, there has to be a release valve somewhere. Yeah. And I think that's like I know I know in my second job, I just drank, yeah. uh, and it was almost encouraged to drink, from because of the because of the ambiance of the place that I was working in. Again, it was short staffed, four rosettes, high end restaurant in West London, and we would just drink, mm. and you know I was drinking. Well, light day would be eight pints, like, and I was doing that five, six days a week. Yeah, right? we talked you know. about when I was in Barcelona. That was when I my first job in abroad was that, and we'd have a beer in breakfast, we'd have a beer before service, a beer during service. But yeah, London was the same for me. Like, if it depends on which way you're working, but if you were in the restaurant, you'd normally do a split. Uh, I don't know about did you. So we'd we'd literally leave the we'd leave the hotel at three o'clock, half past three after a clean down, and we're going to Shepherd's Market in Mayfair. And we'd all congregate, you'd have all the chefs from the Intercontinental, the Hilton, uh, the Mayfair Park Lane, and we'd all literally be in this little hidden market in the middle of Mayfair, and we'd all just be drinking beers and talking about jobs and trying to poach chefs. Yeah. Other. And cool. we, just, we just literally all we just had a few beers. I wasn't a massive drinker myself, but a few of my mates, they could drink seven or eight pints during yeah. a split and then go back to work. I, I think, like, my first job, we just didn't get a break. Like, we worked all day. Uh, like, we might, if we were lucky, walk down onto Chiswick High Road and have a quick cup of coffee out of the restaurant and a cigarette. Yeah. But the rest of the... And that would have been 20 minutes tops, and that was only if you were boxed off. Okay. Um, but my second my second job, yeah, we'd get a two-hour split, and yeah, that would be that would be five pints of Stella as, as a brigade. We'd go down to a certain pool hall, and we'd have five pints of Stella, play a few games of pool, and then go back half-cut and do evening service. Yeah, so I guess that's... Because um, that's the only, like me time I guess we used to have I know yeah. like gambling was kind of terrible as well there's lots of friends of mine that were addicted to slot machines and just pen, pinball machines and stuff yeah. and actually a good, very good friend of ours uh, he made he, was, he went out to go bankrupt when he was 21 because he'd spent so much money on slot machines one on bandits one on yeah. bandits and yeah so that's cause, but that's I guess that was his escapism from the it was normal life. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, like because you got make no, the most of your two hours. Yeah, exactly. What, what are you gonna do? You got to get a buzz. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, and because otherwise there's no enjoyment in life because all you're doing is cooking. And you know, we all love cooking, and there's this lovely sort of idea of yeah, we love cooking, and so therefore we should do it all the bloody time. Yeah, yeah. But you can, you know, I had the same problem when I was playing rugby. Yeah. Like, if you do something all the time, that gloss sort of gets, you know, that veneer just gets sort of slightly tarnished by almost burnout and that's what we're talking about here is yeah, burnout of, yeah. of young guys you know guys in their 20s who don't really know 
much about the world. They think they do, but they don't. Yeah, we've all been burnt out. And we yeah. just get burnt out. And I know I've, I really struggled at points in my career when, yeah. you know, I, and you know this, because I just threw myself into jobs because that's what the business required. And exactly, you don't yeah. have anything else. And I've been, yeah, I've been burnt you know, out as well, working, so basically working abroad in a different country, different heat, different stuff like that. And I've, yeah, we'll talk about that later in different in episodes to come. But yeah, yeah there is a, it's a, just the downside of our, uh, our industry and why do people do it? Why do you think? Do you think it was popularized by certain celebrity chefs? Do you think it's the book cookery books that people wrote? Yeah, I Obviously think they're edging towards you know kitchen confidential yeah, and, and those why he that's what white, I mean, that's what yeah. I'm hinting towards yeah like you know I think I just think it's it's the environments that we were they weren't constructive environments like it was the idea and you said to me in the past that you know you had sous chefs say to you that. You know, you have to bollock people. You have to break, make them break. You know, you have to make them cry, and that high pressure environment. And it was mm. the shouting, screaming chefs, and I think you know whether it be you know people using drugs in the middle of service, you know uppers in the middle of service to keep themselves going and all the rest of it. Yeah. You know, I think how else do you take it? Uh, you know, it like. It, and what gives up that pressure? I'm just. I mean, I'm. We're briefly touching you. It's it is it's the high end. It's people's accolades. Yeah. Know, so we yeah, briefly but, yeah. talked about it before, Michelin. but it. It's the Michelin guide. It's the AA guide, and it's it's like it's the golden, it's the golden ticket for everyone. That's what they all want to chase for their careers. And I mean, I, I wanted to get a Michelin star when I was seventeen, and then I worked in Michelin star. And I thought, forget this for a laugh. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I saw a different side of it, but I see people why I can see people why people do want to get Michelin stars. I think it's a way. Like the the problem with our industry is that. Food is f- food is universal. Everybody eats. You have to eat. You have, you to, have eat. to. So, so yeah, yeah. and we go out to eat, and we uh, and we expect it. And there has to be some sort of standardisation of how good a particular place is to eat. Now, nowadays you've got TripAdvisors and these sorts of things, and you can read reviews. Back in the day when we were first starting, there wasn't TripAdvisor really. No. It was it was reviews. It was. You bought the Waterstones. You know, you, you bought the books. You bought the books. Yeah. You saw you you heard about certain chefs, and. The other way of doing it were the guidebooks, and whether that be the Good Food Guide, be the AA Guide, Michelin, all of these things. And those were where foodies who were liked going out to eat would read about where to go and where's the next best place. Time Out magazine. Yeah, before, like, the, before the mobile phone, before yeah. the laptop, the iPad. Well, yeah, we, you like, had to pick a book up. Yeah. You had to pick a book up and you read it. And, you know, particularly in London, the press is read. Like, you know, you'd have the Metro and all those sorts of things. And... Michelin, the Michelin star immediately got you highlighted and got you in there. And losing that accolade was almost bankruptcy if you, if, if you lost that. Yeah, so, yeah. so the head chefs, who often weren't the business owners, in, certainly in the, my Michelin star restaurant, he was just a, an employee in all intents and purposes. You know, he has to keep that star. Because if he loses that star, well, you're out the job. Goodbye. Uh, yeah. you, you know, and the restaurant's closed. Right. And, and he, that has been that's happened. I mean, yeah. there has been there's been chefs over the years that have gone bankrupt, that have committed suicide. Yep. It's a harsh subject, but chefs have taken their own lives because they've either lost their star, or heard they were going, or they to were going to, or they presumed through the rumours. And there is some famous French chefs out there, which have lost, which lost it. And then there's chefs that have gone bankrupt. And I know when I was one of my hotels in London, we'd. Uh, we just lost the Michelin star in the restaurant, and uh, A. A. Gill came in and he wrote a, a, literally a slating review of his dinner, and he actually taunted fun at the head chef that he'd uh, lost his star in the review, 
and this head chef I worked for, executive chef, he literally disappeared for a week. Yeah. And we didn't know where he was. We didn't know his, his wife came into the hotel. She was looking for him. And literally, we didn't know where he'd gone. And then we was like, what's happened? And then he turned up a week later in his South End football kit and carried on like normal. It was literally so bizarre. And that was purely through and, uh, a, food, a food journalist writing a few words, slating this amazing chef that's produced... Michelin stars. Yeah. He's got he's got twelve different top reading books. I'm looking at my our book cupboard at the minute bookcase, and his, four of his books are on there. Yeah. And literally, because he's wrote an article in the Times, Gay Eagle wrote for. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And it destroyed him and his yeah. family. It was so hurtful, and uh, that think, is it's this, this, that's terrible, really. And but we we take it. I, I, I used to find reviews quite. Uh, we take them so personally. Yeah, we did, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, particularly, and that's where TripAdvisor got quite dangerous. TripAdvisor is. And, it, it can yeah. be so, you get, in all intents and purposes, amateurs, i.e. customers, yeah. writing reviews about someone that's been working and training for 20 years. Yeah. And they slate them. And just it's because... Such they, a negative It's such a, such a negative sales. It's, yeah. You know, it, and it's horrible. I suppose um, now you, you've seen, uh, you can see it now, a lot of business owners, because you can reply now. When it first yeah. came out, you couldn't reply, could you? No. Uh, but now business owners can reply on there and they can say, well, actually, no, no, hold fire. Yeah. You came in, you were drunk, you abused my staff, you took rude to them, you're not welcome back. And it's fair, but before, it was just like you could just go in there. And some people, I mean, I know, I know restaurateurs that have wrote negative reviews other about other restaurants. Yeah. And they've yeah. not even eaten there. Yeah, yeah. And I almost admit personally, I've wrote reviews on my own restaurants, what I've worked at, to get the negative reviews down. They're knocked off. I, like, it's such, yeah. a, such nonsense. <clears throat> it is, it is. And so actually, almost we've gone full circle there, because actually at least those accolades aren't public. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like It's somebody who has a standard, and you either tick the boxes or you don't tick the boxes, but you know if you tick the box... That's where you're at. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, and you know, it's it's the closest thing you'll get to a standardization of, you know, take a Chinese restaurant, an Italian restaurant. They all do different things. How do you put them on a level playing field so that everyone can understand them? Exactly. You know? And that's where yeah, yeah. and that's where they get their. That's where you know places like the AA and Michelin come in come into their own. We got a bit off topic there, actually. <laughs> yeah, we did. But yeah. Yeah, that's how it's it important goes. though. Like, I, you it know, is. I think because yeah, and that's why. Chefs, I think particularly in our in our time when we were training up through the, through those uh, through those restaurants and hotels in London, that's why we were under the pressure that we were under. Yeah, um, it's just constant scrutiny. Constant scrutiny. Yeah, yeah. good times. Good times. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, um, hope you enjoyed episode three, the toll. Uh, if you'd like to, please leave us a review. We'd appreciate your time. We'll take a few words. Let us know what you liked. Yeah. And uh, let us. Uh, well, hopefully, we'll see you again for episode four. Uh, in the next few days. Take care and we'll speak to you soon. Cheers, bye.